Are you ready for some high adventure? Coming up next on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. It was commonly said of a great many things that its bark was worse than its bite. I hadn't had more than a handful of actual run-ins with actual dogs, though it wasn't always the barking ones that bit. But the saying had been so far removed from whatever it might have once had to say on the subject of canines that it didn't make much of a difference. The point seemed to simply be that the thing that seemed most hostile is often not the most dangerous thing in the room, at least not to you personally. That wasn't a bad lesson, and if that was where it ended, it might have been useful in that it was a source of inspiration for a nice, healthy dose of paranoia. But the phrase had come to be misapplied as often as not. It was now a way of reassuring you that the Rottweiler in question was really just a big, cuddly old teddy bear, and nothing to worry about at all. See, when a dog is barking, it's telling you something. It's saying, stay away. Too much faith that the bark is the bad part of the equation, and you're likely to find out just how bad the bite really is. Of course... They didn't really use it to mean dogs. They meant people, who were almost always more dangerous. Lieutenant Sabian was just such a one as that. He cornered the market on Gruff, and he had got pretty good at hollering over the years, but times do change. He used to arrest me a lot, and last month, he and I actually had gone fishing. We hadn't caught anything, and had argued the entire time, but we had drowned several worms in the process, so it counts. Still... One thing seemed to be quite clear to me on that Tuesday morning as Sabian pushed open the grey-green office door and walked in like he owned the place. If Sabian's bark seemed worse than his bite, it was only because at that particular moment he didn't happen to be biting you. Good morning, sunshine. Come right in, Lieutenant. Don't paw at the ground shyly like a newborn fawn. Well, that's nice. I like it. You like it? It's yours. Well, I don't like it that much. Has he spoken yet? Have you spoken yet? I'll bet he hasn't. That seems like the kind of thing we would notice. Do you think we're in trouble? We've hardly been out of these chairs in a week. How much trouble can we be in? Maybe he brought donuts. I don't see a bag. Danish? You brought Danish, didn't you? I'll take anything, really. I'm not even touching that one. Shut up. Please excuse her. Miss Dixon is on a diet for some reason, which is just strict enough that she breaks it twice a day. It's not a diet. I gave up sweets for Lent. It's November. Perhaps I've been misinformed. At any rate, it doesn't count if an officer of the law forces them upon me. Make with the good, Sabian. Has he spoken yet? You know, I've lost track. I don't think that he has. I'll bet he's carrying a candy bar. He seems like the type. If it's a Snickers, I'll give you $40 for it, Sabian. For the love of St. Simeon, will you both just shut up? Ah, St. Simeon. Very nice. He's calling us fools. It's probably true, but he still shouldn't say it. I mean, I'm trying to make an entrance here. Is he even listening to what we're saying? I don't think so. How rude. You two geniuses know uh, Terrence Lindley? Linley. Linley. Why does that sound familiar? Because we spent a week and a half tailing his cheating fanny around the city. Ah, yes, that was it. So you know him? I don't think we ever spoke to him. 
Which is not to say that we haven't seen him in his unmentionables. So you admit that you tailed him? Whenever the word admit comes up, I feel a strange compulsion to call my lawyer just to see how she's doing. That might not be the worst idea you've ever had. And not just because some of your others have been pretty terrible. Hang on, let's all step back a minute. That would land me solidly in the middle of your Burns and Allen routine again, and I have no desire to relive that. You tailed Terence Lindley. On whose behalf? I don't think I like where this is going. Do you see any uniforms? Have I got the handcuffs on you yet? I, for one, dislike your use of the word yet. It makes us skittish, like the delicate flowers that we are. Perhaps if you were to begin the story for us, dear Lieutenant. Uh Uh-huh. It's an old story, and it starts a little like this. Terence Lindley is an old friend of the DA. Oh, good. So about a month ago, Lindley gets the feeling like he's being followed. Almost like two bone-idle gumshoes are sitting on their expense accounts everywhere he goes. It takes him a while to notice, but he gets a pretty good look at the two of them. A man and a lady. Sees them both more than once. This explains why it took him a week and a half to go for the cookies. Ixnay on the ookies K in front of the op K. You know they teach us pig Latin at the academy. Or he say. Anyway, he shakes it off and goes back to his routine. His routine in this case being Miss Helena Boyd, who does not strike me as much more than about 26 years old, and is, as they say, an eyeful. You don't know the half of it. Pervert. So a couple of weeks ago, our Mr. Lindley gets his first envelope with a lovely 8x10 print of himself and Miss Boyd engaged in certain extracurricular activities. What? And he is advised that he must pay up or face the wrath of Mrs. Lindley. Okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It made perfect sense to Lindley. See, under normal circumstances, he'd be stuck. He's sitting on a pile, and he could lose most of it in a divorce. But a week earlier, he caught Mrs. Lindley with her hands in the cookie jar of a charitable foundation he had given her to play with, and in order to stay out of the who's gow, she is going nice and quiet-like. Which makes Lindley the rarest of all creatures, a blackmail victim with nothing to lose. Something like that. And he ain't shy like some fellas are. He's fairly fit, thinks himself a stallion, and is scoring an underwear model. He don't mind who sees the pictures. How does Miss Boyd feel? I get the feeling she isn't his first Miss Boyd, and it wouldn't take him long to find another one. Sensitive. And then some. He is, however, a blowhard, indignant, and a friend of the DA. And did I mention that he got a pretty good look at who was tailing him? You're not suggesting that we took the picture that Lindley got in the mail. Let me see him. Then we'll know. We don't keep copies, Sabian. We aren't blackmailers, and I, at least, am not a pervert. I can produce affidavits that say otherwise. Drop dead. Lots and lots of affidavits. Are you still here? Then we got a problem. We do? We got a few. Problem number one. The DA doesn't get to prosecute blackmailers very often on account of usually having zero witnesses to testify. Problem two. If he called me in to talk about this, and he did, it is just possible that he knows as well as I do who the his and hers secret agents were and wonders what I intend to do about it. Is there a problem three? In fact, there is. If you two can't present me with a better candidate in something like a hell of a hurry, I'm going to have to arrest a pair of you for the blackmail of Terence Lindley. And here, dear friends, is where we had a bit of a problem ourselves. We had, in fact, taken dirty pictures of Terence Lindley engaged in extracurricular activities with Miss Helena Boyd, though at the time we hadn't known her name. We had taken them on behalf of Mrs. Samantha Lindley, though we had absolutely no proof of this. I know, I know, don't look at me like that. 
it really wasn't that unusual. In fact, given how mortified the average missus is at the thought of paying private detectives to take pictures of her mister doing his filthy business, it's amazing any of them come in person at all. In fact, the only reason that they do is that they don't have what Samantha Lindley had, a trusted male confidant to send in her stead. Tad Bell had been well-groomed and polite, and if those both sound like euphemisms to suggest he probably didn't like girls, they are. Although they were also factually correct. He had smiled rows of perfect white teeth at everything that was said, and Jack and I got the feeling that this was just what he did. It was how he entered the story and made sense of the world around him. He smiled a beautiful smile at it. It was why he raised absolutely no alarm bells with his proxy request. He seemed born to play the role of best friend to a rich lady, who in this case was also his boss at the Lindley's Charitable Foundation. Sabian cleared out, making it as clear as he could that he had never been there, if anyone asked, which they seemed almost certain to do, and soon. We had a fairly limited window to establish the legitimacy of our errand where Lindley was concerned. If the law moved in for an official interview, we were in a certain amount of trouble, and we both knew it. A wise detective would never have accepted a proxy job like this, but the terms wise and detective were often mutually exclusive, and that was more out of financial necessity than anything else. See, we call it divorce work, but there was a certain resemblance between what we did for clients like Samantha Lindley and the actual act of blackmail. I didn't like to dwell on it, but there it was. We were obtaining admissible evidence of the legally defined activity of infidelity to be used in proceedings before the court, if it came down to that. When you put it that way, it didn't sound creepy at all, but it was. More often than not, the mister rolled over when the pictures appeared, wanting to keep his good name or social standing or just not wanting everybody to see him, which is either false modesty, belated morality, or fundamental insecurity, and it didn't really matter which. It was still pretty close to blackmail. It was close enough that the word itself became what a private dick most despised, and the implication that we had used a client's photos in an inappropriate manner, even if it was only suggested, could be enough to finish us off for this kind of work. And when you ran as close to the line as we did, losing one line of work meant not making enough to bother with any of the others anymore. This was bad. We pulled a copy of the contract Tad Bell had signed on Mrs. Lindley's behalf and made tracks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think I'm following any of this. Who are you exactly? I appreciate the desire for discretion, Mrs. Lindley, but this isn't really the best time. We're the detectives you hired to follow your husband. I hired? Through Tad Bell, yes. Who's Tad Bell? He's the man who sent us to get pictures of your husband and his mistress last month. Oh, I wish I had possessed such pictures a month ago. They might have saved me a good deal of trouble. Though probably they wouldn't. But perhaps you have heard all about that as well? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry about your situation. My situation, detective, is that I married too young. And to too cunning a man. Terence knew my weaknesses, perhaps better than I did myself. I have little doubt that he planned it from the very beginning. There was no particularly charitable nature in Terence's makeup, and the tax advantages of establishing a foundation were never great. I did think to look into it once. If it had been important to him at all, he would have never left me in control of it. Oh, but all that lovely money and very little oversight. 
You must have known I couldn't keep my hands in my pockets forever. So you stole from Charity because he set you up? If you like. Oh, I guess it makes it all right. Was that a moral streak as well? Dear me, you are complicated, aren't you, Detective? I'm sorry, is that the correct way to address you, Detective? If I were a police detective, yes, ma'am. For us, it isn't a rank, it's a job. A bit like calling your plumber, plumber. You can call me Mr. Justice, or Jack. Very well. Jack. Am I even still here? There's only one problem with all of this. Only one? You aren't my plumber. Or my anything else, just yet. I never thought to hire a detective. I never wanted Terrence followed, and I never wanted photographic evidence of his activities. I've always suspected Terrence of having affairs. I've had several myself. They are a zesty break in routine. And there is a reason that monogamy sounds so much like monotony. Don't you think so, Jack? No, ma'am. Oh, dear. You have him trained very well. Ooh, not me. And he's a newlywed. Ah, well, live and learn. I don't mean to sound bitter. I really must control myself. I'm not as young as I once was, and a bitter woman of a certain age is terribly unattractive. Especially if she isn't rich anymore, and I am soon due not to be. Then what we heard about the divorce is true? Oh, it isn't as bad as all that. After all, we have many mutual friends. And Terence isn't interested in playing the hurt victim or the cruel villain. I'll have the country house, and I'll be looked after. But looked after is not being rich. And once you have been rich, everything else is just waiting to die, really. I intend to play gay divorcee for a time and see if I can't get my hooks into something of an older yet still respectable millionaire before I fade too badly from the social set to exist to them. Sounds like you have it all planned out. It does, doesn't it? And Mr. Lindley? Do you think he will marry again? Terrence? Oh, perhaps in time when the novelty of changing his companions like jackets wears off. But his little tramp will soon figure it out. <laughs> Pardon me. I've never met her, but I know my husband. When he wasn't allowed to have any girls, one felt like a luxury. Now that he's allowed as many as he wants, Terence will indulge, and not on a small scale. He may have thrown me over for her, but very soon she too will be on the outs, without so much as a country house. I'm sure that you're right. Can we get back to Tad Bell? That name again? Yes, ma'am. Tall, dark hair, blue eyes, well-groomed. I like him so far. I'll take two. A little too well-groomed. Oh, tragic. Mm. Claim to be your confidential secretary at the Foundation. A good story. I often thought about having one, but I wouldn't have had one whose interests were quite that diverse. It would have been more of a hands-on position. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for your time. Not at all. Thank you for coming by. We may call on you again in the course of our investigation, Mrs. Lindley. Of course. You know where to find me, don't you, Jack? Yes, ma'am. Let's go. What was that all about? What do you mean? Don't pretend you didn't notice. Or do you get that kind of attention everywhere you go? Oh, that. Yeah, that. She was even trying when she was tragically misguided about you and I, and I was standing right there. Which was optimistic on her part, if I may say so, without seeming immodest. I get the feeling that she's trying to convince herself that she's a sex kitten. Defensive posture? She's probably coming onto the hat rack right now. She probably thinks that it's you, but it's too personable. <laughs> nice. So what now? Now Tad Bell, or whoever he is, 
He walked into our office, smiled like a Cheshire cat, and disappeared. And we're running out of time to find him, and fast. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. Sometimes, dear friends, the life of a private detective is a linear path from point A to point B. Everything follows a certain logical sequence, and that's just the way it goes. I would not say those days were in the majority, but there were such days. There were other cases where we wandered aimlessly across the field of battle, poking random things with a stick to see which of them yelled, and then poking them some more. These were the days that made less of what you might call sense, but the job got done. Then there were the days where we drove ourselves out into the woods, let ourselves out of the car, and drove away and left ourselves there. And that is what we had done when we had taken the job that smiling Tad Bell had to offer. We had assumed that he was telling the truth when he said that he was from Samantha Lindley and represented her interests, when apparently his hobbies included duping private detectives and also blackmail. Our wild and unrealistic hope that Mrs. Lindley herself would be able to shed some light on the matter hadn't panned out at all, which left us exactly nowhere. We were in the middle of a city of millions, and out of that number there were perhaps as many as a couple of thousand people that we were sure Tad Bell wasn't. We didn't like those odds. We also didn't like the idea of going back to the office, especially since a telephone call to Miss Vickers' secretarial school on the first floor of our building revealed that a black and white had been parked across the street for more than an hour. We decided to press our luck with Sabian and asked him to meet us in our new mobile command center. Swell place you got here. I always thought you'd end up sleeping in your car, Justice, but this seems like a nice intermediate step. Real nice. What's in the bag, Sabian? You still on a diet? Don't tease me, Flatfoot. What do you want to go be on a diet for, anyway? Answer my question. Danish. Cherry cheese. Now you answer mine. My favorite skirt was tight. Some men are partial to tight skirts. It's not about what you like, it's what I like. So, you don't want yours? Give it to me or I'll scream that you're savaging me. That's tough but fair. There's a radio car outside our office. Yes, there is. How'd you make them without being spotted? Professional secret. But them being painted like a clown car didn't hurt. You're welcome. So DA has made us, I guess. What did she say? The DA has made us, she guesses. You could hear that? We could both hear it. I understood it. You two have been spending way too much time together. This is what I keep saying. She says Yeah, I got the nuances. Thanks. And yeah, the DA knows it was you following Lindley. I told you this morning I thought he knew when he asked me. I stalled a little and told him I thought the description sounded like you and the blackmail didn't. You think this out? If you like. He told me that he'd decide what sounded like who, and I should send out a unit for you. So I picked a nice, easy-to-spot one with a pair of bulls that ain't bright enough to park in an alley while they wait, and got on with my day. Which apparently includes running errands for you. Did you get it? Remind me again, why am I trying to keep you both out of jail? Mm, you hate the DA worse than us? I knew it had to be something. I have good news and bad news about your Tad Bell. Give. He doesn't exist. Or at least he doesn't have a record, which probably means he doesn't exist. Or if he does have a record, it's under a different name. Possibly even his real one, if only you knew what that was. At any rate, there ain't no Thaddeus Bell or Theodore Bell or what have you. There ain't no Tad Bell. The city directory backs up that assertion. You might want to try it sometime. 
How is any of that good news? It means I won't have to arrest all three of you. That's saving the state some money, I guess. That's just swell. What are you smiling about? I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Great. All right, let's give this some thought. What if we go through with the blackmail, and when he shows up to pick up the money, we grab him and beat the truth out of him? Now you're thinking like a cop. Except by that time, you two will already have been in front of a judge on account of, we don't need you for any of that. I'm trying to think. The time for thinking was before you took this job. So this is time for random stupidity? Yeah, the mayor declared it Justice and Dixon Day. Whatever else Tad has smiled his way into, he isn't a professional blackmailer. He's not doing that bad so far. He got somebody else to take his pictures. I repeat, so far, this is not working out that poorly for him. So what makes a young man turn his career thoughts towards the growth industry of blackmail? I don't know. Why do you two do it? Hey! Don't let them push your buttons. And the answer is economic necessity. No, it ain't. You don't go peeping in random windows looking for secrets to sell. Opportunity. Opportunity! Some ding-dong comes in and gives you the what and the who and sometimes the where and the why, and off you go. We're private detectives, Vic. That's how every case starts. And that's how we enter the story. Maybe it's how Tad Bell entered the story, too. So maybe he didn't just pick some random millionaire... He could have just been somebody who knew Lindley was cheating. A waiter at a club where our boy had been with both wife and Trollope? I don't think so. An abiding faith in the power of dumb luck? Nope. Unless you've changed your policies, he paid in advance. Three days. And without blinking. Because we had to believe that it wasn't his money or the whole thing would fall apart. He kept paying, too. The whole time when Lindley was skittish. Paid the expenses, too, without a squawk. We never suspected a thing. So he had to be pretty sure of himself. He didn't suspect Lindley was having an affair. He knew. So he's close to this, and not on Mrs. Lindley's side, or it never would have been his cover story. If only we had a picture. If we had a picture, we'd have his file, and we'd know who he was, and we'd go get him. You say that as if it would be a bad thing. Trixie, Mm. that artist friend of yours, the skinny kid. Ivan? He's more of a pet than friend. You think he could do something like a police sketch for us? He'll try if I ask him. Doesn't Sabian have real police sketch artists? Yeah, real police sketch artists who know the DA wants to see you yesterday. Forget it. We'll handle the artwork. I need you to check a long shot for me. Can I help you? I hope so, miss. We've been canvassing the area looking for a suspect that's been spotted near here. I wonder if you'd mind taking a look at some composite drawings, see if you recognize his face. You're a police officer? Detective, Miss... Boyd. Helena Boyd. I'm sorry. I don't think I'll be of much help to you. I don't get out and about much. That makes you an ideal witness, Miss. Uh, I mean, in the neighborhood. I don't, uh, I don't spend a lot of time here. Sounds to me like you get out and about quite a bit, Miss Boyd. Uh, yes, I suppose I do. Do you mind my asking why you said that you didn't, miss? Do I mind? I don't think... Did you have something you wanted me to look at, detective? A a drawing? Yes, miss. It'll only take a minute. I don't think I'll be able to help you. It'll only take a minute, miss. Here it is. Oh. Do you recall seeing this man in the area, Miss Boyd? I've never seen this man before in my life. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I don't think I have... It's kind of a common face. It could be anyone, really. Yes, Miss Boyd. But it isn't. No, I suppose it isn't. You don't expect to see someone smiling that much in a picture like that. A man may smile and smile and be a villain. I'm sorry? Forget it. 
Well, I'm sorry that I couldn't help you. Did, uh, did any of my neighbors know him? Don't know. Didn't ask. I thought you were canvassing the area. I did say that, didn't I? In this case, though, the area consists of your little house. My... Well, what made you think that I would be able to help you? To be precise, I didn't think you'd be able to stop yourself. See, I wasn't listening to what you said. I was watching your eyes. And you know this man all right. I will bid you good day, detective. She's very formal. Isn't she adorable? Who are you? My partner, Miss Dixon. Trixie, please. Your partner? You said you were a police officer. No, Miss Boyd, you said that. I said I was a detective. In this case, a detective looking for the smart operator who hired Miss Dixon and myself to document the activities of one Terence Lindley. You are familiar with the activities of Terence Lindley, aren't you, Miss Boyd? Bearing in mind that we know for a fact that you are. You... you were the ones who took the... Who took the blackmail photos? Oh, she's good, isn't she, Trixie? Mm, She's very good. We almost bought that, Miss Boyd. The little shiver of horror. What do you want here? Why have you come to me? I can't pay you anything. She's going to run with this, isn't she? Don't blush and turn away, Miss Boyd. You knew that someone was watching and you left the blinds open so those pictures could be taken. That's horrible. The trouble with going in for this kind of work is that there's always someone watching. How long have you been working for Bell? For who? Tad Bell. Or whoever he is to you, this man in the picture. You don't know anything. You can't prove anything. Yeah, but I probably can. Ah, the deus ex machina. We've been waiting for you. What did you just call me? Too bad they didn't teach actual Latin instead of the pig variety. Miss Boyd recognizes our picture, Lieutenant. I do not. I said that I didn't, and I don't. Then let me up the ante. I see your etching and raise you a mugshot. That's him! He's even smiling there. Who smiles in a mugshot? You'd be surprised. In this case, the smile belongs to Mr. Todd Boyd, brother to Miss Helena Boyd. Todd? Tad? Where did he pick up his alias? Boston? String of petty confidence capers. Never pinned him for anything major, but he's an operator, all right. Not so smooth that he's above selling his own sister. It wasn't like that. I'd been with Terence for nearly three years, waiting and hoping. He always said he was going to leave his wife, but he was afraid of what he'd lose in the divorce. So while he was trapping his wife, you and your brother Todd were trapping him. Todd came into town. He'd been away so long. I told him about Terence, and he said men like that never left their wives. That eventually he'd tire of me, and I'd be left with nothing. He was very persuasive. He got me angry. He he said said I should at least get something. And he should get cut in, of course. After it was over, Terence told me about his wife, how she was going to go quietly. He even told me why. Don't you see? He loves me. He'd done it for me. He'd done it for him. I told my brother we couldn't go through with it. He agreed at first, but he owed a lot of money. He must have thought that Terence would still pay something just to avoid a scandal. But he didn't know Terence, and I wasn't there to tell him. What's going to happen? Where can I find your brother? I can't tell you that. I can't turn him in. He was peddling naked pictures of you and may have cost you your shot at bagging a millionaire in the process. If you can get mad enough to give me an address, I'll see what I can do about making nice with the DA. 
but I don't have time for games, and you're an accessory in a criminal conspiracy. Last chance, sister. Now talk. She talked, and Sabian was as good as his word. In a very impressive tap-dancing display, he persuaded the DA that this was not the kind of truth that a major campaign contributor really wanted, and the case of the Cheshire Cat quickly disappeared, along with the manhunt for Justice and Dixon. Todd Boyd, a.k.a. Tad Bell, was given till sundown to be out of town or run in on an out-of-state warrant. We never really did find out if Helen and Boyd had been right, or if the ex-wife's more cynical view proved to be true. Frankly, we didn't move in those kinds of circles, though I like to believe that Terence Lindley caught a social disease and was shortly afterward hit by a meteor and atomized. That sounded about right. It wasn't the sort of case where happily ever after was really in the cards for all, or even most of the principals. Most of them aren't. But their lives were less ruined than most of them deserved, and her ladyship and I were free to detect another day. And at least part of that was because a certain police dog had a bark that was much worse than his bite. Blackjack Justice, episode 57, The Cheshire Cat, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Clarissa Dunetlanden, Hero Van Harten, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. There are many things that we can all do that may help stop the spread of the coronavirus. But one thing we can all do is to have a plan in case you do get sick. First, Consult with your health care provider for more information about monitoring your health for symptoms suggestive of COVID-19. Second, stay in touch with others by phone or email. You may need to ask for help from friends, family, neighbors, community health workers, or more if you become sick. And finally, determine who can care for you if your caregiver gets sick. For more information, go to cdc.gov and... Be well, everyone.